This is Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. Hello, Warren. Hi, Ian. I think I remember you saying that you did a study of the Gospel of John. True. So I'd like to take us on a journey through the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people think that uh, it has the same author as the Gospel of John. I'm not sure that makes any difference, but the writer was exiled on the island of Patmos uh, for witnessing to the Gospel. So he, he writes this book, um, this letter, and he codes it uh, because a Roman soldier... A reading what he writes there could easily interpret it as sedition or treason against Rome. So he codes it in Hebrew symbols. Right. So that anybody who had a Jewish background uh, could understand what these symbols meant. Mm-hmm. So there um, are about 450 illusions, uh, sorry, verses in the book of Revelation, 270 of them are allusions to the Old Testament. So about half, a good half of them. Mm, yeah. Mm. So if you don't, if you aren't familiar with the Old Testament, this is going to be an uphill battle. Right. Then uh, it's part of apocalyptic prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does apocalypse mean to you? Well, apocalypse, I was just listening to a podcast recently, and the idea, originally the idea was the end. And I, I find people, you know, describing what we're experiencing now with the coronavirus, and they see the empty shelves in the grocery stores and the streets that are practically empty, and they wonder if this is the apocalypse. Is this the end? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Rob, in his podcast... Uh, suggests that the word apocalypse, uh, the early understanding of it, was more to uncover, mm-hmm. to reveal or to lay bare. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, the book Revelation was called the apocalypse up until about the 1300s. Mm-hmm. And if with that understanding, it's very much similar to the word revelation. It's a revelation of, of God, uh, of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I've seen older translations uh, which list it as the Apocalypse of St. John. Okay. Um, So uh, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are apocalyptic prophecy. Mm -hmm. Um, It means that heaven reveals what's going on on earth. Right. And heaven's influence in it. Mm Mm-hmm. So the symbols in the book of Revelation are very interesting. And once you uh, are able to decode them, it becomes an intriguing piece of literature. Without decoding them, it becomes very confusing. Oh, yes. yes. Just you... a surface reading of the book leaves a person with more questions than answers. Yeah, you're like you have a, a red dragon chasing a pregnant woman across the sky. Yeah. Um, what's all that about? Yeah. You have the apocalyptic horsemen mm-hmm. uh, riding their horses. Um, 
you have a dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And it's just amazing. It's a bit of a nightmare if, if you don't decode these. Yes, uh, yeah. And people symbols. are interested in, in, in trying to understand it. And so I'm glad that uh, we can shed some light uh, on what some of these symbols actually mean so that it takes on a different framework. So the book is characterized by many groups of sevens. Right. Um, actually, some claim that there are 52 sevens in the book of Revelation. Oh, really? One for each week of the year. Oh, yes, yeah. I'll just read off a few of them okay. alphabetically. Seven angels, seven battles, seven blessings, seven bowls, seven candlesticks or lamps, seven churches. Seven eyes, seven heads, seven kings, seven mountains, seven plagues, seven seals. Seven stars, seven spirits, seven thunders, seven torches, seven trumpets. That's quite a list. That's of, quite a list it? of sevens, yes. Yeah, so the, the church, I'm talking about, uh, the medieval church uh, before there were all the splits mm -hmm. uh, they came up with seven deadly sins Oh, yeah, you know, um, seven taking their cue from revelation right. yeah. which are pride, greed, luxury, envy gluttony, anger and despair mm. and then uh, there's seven cardinal virtues good, we keep a balance wisdom courage, self-control, justice, faith, hope, and love. And then we have seven works of mercy. Feed the hungry, drink for the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the sick, house the homeless, ransom captives, bury the dead. And then there's seven sacraments. Infant baptism, confirmation, penance, ordination, marriage, extreme unction or last rites, and then mass. So uh, it's very important uh, uh, to have the sacraments if you belong to the Catholic or the Orthodox churches. Right. Um, Protestants don't have sacraments. Mm. They have ordinances. And what's the difference? Uh, a sacrament is like something changes in heaven okay. when this uh, happens. Mm. Like if marriage is a sac sacrament, then when you get married sacramentally, you get married in heaven. Oh. Mm. So you can't get divorced mm. because mm. there's no divorce in heaven. Right. So that's the difference between an ordinance and a sacrament. And a sacrament. An ordinance is sort of a, a reminder, uh, it's symbolic, mm. uh, but a sacrament means that whatever is done on earth is also done in heaven. Carries more weight. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting that the writings of Muhammad, um, the Quran, contain no prophecy. The writings of Buddha offer nothing about prophecy. And 30% of the Bible is prophetic, hmm. classical or uh, apocalyptic right. prophecy. Right. Classical is things like uh, there's going to be a war in three months' time. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, it's just sort of mm. predictions mm -hmm. and teachings. So um, so this is what we get from the 
two apocalyptic books in the Bible uh, is that they are two opposing cosmic powers, supernatural powers. Right. Um, not everybody believes that. Mm-hmm. You know, our Jewish friends believe that God encompasses both good and evil. Mm. So they just have one cosmic power. And the cosmic power does good and does evil. Yes. And of course, the Persians believed that too with yin yang mm-hmm. and so on. So, but the apocalyptic literature in the Bible tells us there are two distinct time periods, ages, before and after the second coming. Mm. Mm-hmm. The second coming marks a radical change. Mm-hmm. The present age, according to Jesus, is ruled by Satan. Yes. And the apocalyptic literature. And after the second coming, it will be ruled by God and his Christ. And that that second age will be perfect and last forever. And repentant, faithful people can be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing hope that we have to be able to be a part of that kingdom. Yes. So the book of Revelation has a major series of sevens. Mm -hmm. Um, You have seven churches. You have seven seals, seven trumpets, seven battle scenes, seven plagues. Now... Uh, when you read the book of Daniel, uh, especially the second half, seems to give you a chronology up to the end of the world. Mm -hmm. So many people have taken that kind of view of the book of Revelation Mm -hmm. and tried to fit uh, a chronology into the seven churches, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven battles, the seven plagues. Mm -hmm. Um, But as it will become apparent, this is not the kind of uh, paradigm that one wants to impose on the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. Having said that, uh, the sixth uh, incident in each one of these series uh, is usually around about the end of the world. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, it doesn't seem to have a... Oh, a time okay. consequence. Okay. Something else interesting is that the seals, the trumpets, the battles, and the plagues all have an interlude between the sixth and the seventh one. Interesting. Uh, and these interludes are very interesting. Mm-hmm. And they sort of parallel each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll have a look at those interludes. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, there might be an interlude between the sixth and the seventh church that I just haven't seen. Hmm. So I'm not excluding that. Right. Uh, because it takes a long while for the penny to drop for me sometimes. <laughs> um, I want to suggest that Revelation is a continuation of Jesus' knowledge of the cause of suffering on this planet. Hmm. He indicted the devil mm-hmm. or Satan. Mm-hmm. Uh, before Jesus, it wasn't clear mm-hmm. uh, that Satan was the cause of uh, suffering on the planet. So I can hear some people getting hot and bothered about that. So 
uh, there are three references to Satan or Shatan, as he's called in Hebrew, mm -hmm. in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. The most famous one is in the book of Job. Job, mm -hmm. Job chapter 1 and 2. Uh, you have God and the Shatan having an argument about why Job serves God. Mm -hmm. And the Shatan says, well, he only serves you because you bless him and protect him. Mm -hmm. But if you took away your blessing and protection, um, he'd curse you to your face. So God says to the Shatan, have at it. See, let's see what will happen. Mm -hmm. So this is very interesting that God and this other cosmic power, um, we think it's a cosmic power in retrospect, they're having an argument, and it doesn't seem very moral or fair to me that all these people die in order to prove that God's right. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you think about that. Well, I, I realize, I agree with you. Yeah, it doesn't seem fair. His... Job's family are all killed uh, just so that God can prove his point. Mm -hmm. So Job uh, chapters 1 or 2 um, tell you how that God gives the shatan permission to take away Job's uh, favorite possessions, including his family. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is the destruction is attributed to God. True. Even though we know from the story that the shatan is doing it. Mm -hmm. Except Job didn't ever realize that. <clears throat> no. If you look at Job's prayers where he's talking to God in the rest of the book, he keeps saying to God, why are you doing this to me? Mm -hmm. What did I do that was so wrong mm -hmm. that I should suffer this way? So he always sees God as the source of his suffering. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting if you uh, speak to Jewish people or Google uh, Judaism and devil, uh, you will see that uh, the people of Judaism, our Jewish friends, don't believe in a devil. Mm -hmm. They believe the devil was invented by Christians mm. to absolve themselves of their personal guilt. Mm like your famous uh, Canadian comedian, Flip Wilson, who said... The devil made me do it. You got it. So Job 1 and 2 is the one, one of the three places where the shatan is mentioned. Mm -hmm. Another place is 1 Corinthians 21. I'd like you to read that. Uh, it's verse 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 21. Cr Chronicles. Yeah. Chronicles, thank you. 1 First. Chronicles 21. Chronicles is one of the last books written in the Old Testament. And it was written to help persuade the people who were in exile uh, to come back to Israel. Mm. So only good things are spoken of. Okay. Uh, all the heroes are doing wonderful things, except mm -hmm. one incident for David, King mm -hmm. David. Mm -hmm. So if you'd read First Chronicles 21, verse 1. Satan rose up against Israel and caused David to take a census of the people of Israel. Okay, just who did this? Satan. Satan caused David. Mm -hmm. Now, if you go back to 2 Samuel 24, verse 1, same incident, 
Chronicles is sort of a, a summary of all the wonderful things that happened to Israel and why the exiles should go back. But Samuel tells the story differently. Once again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he caused David to harm them by taking a census. Okay, so in 2 Samuel 24, it's God who's doing it. Right. In 1 Chronicles 21, verse 1, same incident, it's Satan's Satan. doing it. Yeah. So now you have the interesting uh, 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 consequence, if you're going to be logical about this, that God and Satan are working together. Mm-hmm. So you need to help me understand that. <laughs> <laughs> so Shatan in Old Testament literature is what we would call the public prosecutor today. Hmm. The public prosecutor is there to bring out the truth of the matter. He's not an evil person. Hmm. I've known a few public prosecutors um, as friends and as adversaries in court. <laughs> now, even when I lose my case and the prosecutor gets me, I still don't look upon the prosecutor as an evil being. Right. Uh, well, maybe at first, but I get over it. <laughs> so their function is to make the accusation and substantiate the accusation. Mm -hmm. A wrong has been done, and they paid to do that. Mm -hmm. And then you have the defense. So the shaitan in the Old Testament is a public prosecutor in our language. Okay. So the, the third one in uh, passage that has to do with the shaitan is Zechariah chapter 3, where you have Joshua the high priest who's being accused of being evil by the shatan. Right. Uh, so uh, the high priest is the most moral, uh, the most uh, pure person in Israel. So the shatan is not just accusing Joe Soap off the street. Mm -hmm. He's accusing the very best of the best. Mm -hmm. So you want to read a few verses uh, so from verse 1? starting at verse 1 of Zechariah 3, Then the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, or as you would say, Shatan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, Reject your accusation, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes, the, rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that had been snatched from the fire. So that's the third passage. Mm -hmm. It has to do with the shatan. So this is why Judaism, the writers of the Old Testament, all uh, say that if supernatural trouble comes to Israel, God's doing it. So if an evil spirit possesses King Saul, who's been anointed by God to be the king of Israel, that's supernatural for them. How could that possibly be? Mm -hmm. So they say an evil spirit from the Lord mm -hmm. possessed Saul. Right. Because they have no concept of the devil. Yes, 
So um, they simply see it as supernatural, so it's a part of what God does. And they are very anxious to retain um, the power of one God mm -hmm. and believe that God created everything. He's the creator of heaven and earth, the sea, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so anything that exists was created by God, mm -hmm. be it good or evil. Right. When Jesus comes, he changes this. Mm -hmm. This is one of the newnesses of Jesus. Jesus' explanation of the cause of suffering was new to Israel, and it's still new to many Christians who think that God causes the suffering in the Old Testament. Right. Because unless we see what Jesus shares in the New Testament clearly, and then we can reinterpret what isn't said in the Old Testament without reinterpreting it, then we're back to where they were with an understanding prior to what Christ said. Yes. So here are some of the insights Jesus gave about the devil. In Matthew 8, verse 4, 44, Jesus says, You're of your father the devil. He was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Okay, so that's interesting that Jesus uh, attributes deceit lies and death, murdering to the devil. And that it was present at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. One of the most shocking things for me is that the first generation born on this planet, Cain kills his brother Abel. It's astonishing to me. That it would degenerate so quickly. And that he could actually do that to his mm -hmm. brother. Luke 10 verse 18, Jesus says... Uh, his disciples come back and say, well, we were able to cast out demons. I mean, they're very happy with themselves, yeah, you know. Yeah. And Jesus says, that's good, but I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Mm. So he, he's saying that the origin of the supernatural evil being, Satan or the devil or the serpent, was in heaven. So that's very interesting because uh, in the book of Revelation in chapter 12, it will uh, confirm that. Mm -hmm. And then in the book of John 10 verse 10, uh, Jesus is speaking and he says, the thief steals, kills, and destroys. Mm -hmm. But I've come to give life, abundant life. So he contrasts the thief with himself. Yes. And the thief in this instance is just a euphemism for the devil. Mm -hmm. So the devil steals away our faith, he kills our hope, and he destroys our joy. Mm -hmm. So you end up with mass depression on the planet. Matthew 13, 25, Jesus is speaking and he's... He's talking to his disciples about the weeds uh, and the wheat. And uh, the disciples say, so where did the weeds come from? And Jesus answers by saying in Matthew 13, 25, an enemy sowed the weeds. Mm -hmm. So I believe that uh, Revelation is a continuation of Jesus' teaching 
specifically about where suffering comes from mm. and the different forms that it takes. Yeah, because Jesus was very clear about where this came from, that it was the devil. Yes. And uh, hadn't been clear up until then, and he makes it very clear uh, in the verses that you've mentioned, and I'm sure there are others. Oh, yes. That he, <clears throat> he is very clear that there are two forces, that we're in a cosmic conflict. So now in these sequences of seven, um, they, they're all telling us of the suffering that Satan has brought to the planet mm. from different angles. Okay. So for instance, um, Jesus in his uh, prayer in John 17, his great desire is for unity amongst his believers. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've read that prayer yes. and are mm -hmm. familiar with it. Mm -hmm. So he really pours out his heart and says things like, I pray for those who believe that they will be one, just like you and I are one, Father, and that I might be in them and they will be in me and mm -hmm. we'll just have this amazing unity and love and care for each other and anticipate each other's needs and so on. Mm -hmm. It doesn't happen. Satan is able to destroy all seven of those churches. They were literal churches in Asia Minor or Turkey today. Mm -hmm. They don't exist. Right. And um, we'll come back to that in mm -hmm. just a minute. Mm -hmm. And then under the seven seals, uh, you have the suffering inflicted by Satan in an interesting way. In the Old Testament, the, the covenant was, if you're obedient, I'm going to bless you this way. And if you're disobedient, I'm going to cause you to suffer in this way. Mm -hmm. And the seals deal with that suffering. Mm. Because the Old Testament covenant curses, there are four of them, and they are mirrored in the first four seals. Oh, okay. So, again, it's about the suffering. Now, God claimed that he would inflict the suffering, but that's written by writers who thought that suffering came from God. Mm. They didn't know about the devil. Right. So, <clears throat> we would say these are the consequences mm -hmm. of having a cosmic evil power mm -hmm. on the planet mm -hmm. that's working to destroy God's beautiful creation. So there are consequences that are not necessarily uh, imposed by God directly, but consequences that naturally occur as a result. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, naturally, in terms of violating a natural law, mm -hmm. uh, be it physical or emotional or spiritual, mm. uh, but then there are some uh, occurrences, some experiences that are beyond that. Mm. Uh, for instance, you have terrible tragedies in some families. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that, like a whole family can be wiped out. Mm. And there's no way that that can happen. Well, if you have a universal flood, that might happen. But mm -hmm. just on the no natural run of things, uh, you know, even with uh, the Spanish flu or with uh, COVID, uh, 19, you don't have whole families wiped out. Right. You know, it's, uh, 
So then under the seven trumpets, trumpets were used to warn people of catastrophes mm -hmm. and also to remind them of uh, festivals that were coming up. Mm. So these trumpets uh, are very clearly the consequence of Satan coming to this planet. Mm. When we do the trumpets, uh, it's just amazingly clear once you see it. Mm -hmm. um, we'll get there. And then you have seven battle scenes indicting Satan as being behind all war, mm. cosmic and planetary wars. Mm -hmm. And then we have seven plagues which parallel the seven trumpets, mm. except that the trumpets are limited to one-third, mm -hmm. while the plagues, there's no limitation. Right. And they are universal. Mm -hmm. And they actually uh, destroy the planet. Mm so that it's uninhabitable. Mm. I just want to say that again. We have these one, two, three, four, five sequences of seven, the churches, the seals, the trumpets, the battles, and the plagues. They're all showing you how Satan has brought about suffering on the planet. Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting because um, Revelation is often, with a surface reading, is often interpreted to say this is God's way of retribution against evil. And you're telling me that these sevens are really a revelation of what Satan is doing. Yes. Interesting. You see, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ mm -hmm. to John about where suffering comes from. Mm. Wow. So it needs a, a more a deeper study than a surface reading. Uh, so that the whole book isn't misunderstood. Well, once you you get what it's about, I think it becomes very um, simple to put it together. Right. I mean, uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to remember that this is about five sequences of sevens, mm -hmm. seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven battles, and seven plagues. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And those five sequences are showing you how Satan has brought suffering to the planet from five different perspectives. Okay, yeah. And so what you're suggesting is once you see it, you can't unsee it. No. It's just there, and then it's very evident. You know, I can remember in high school, I could not factorize uh, mathematical equations. I mean, like... The rest of the class was just going great guns, factorizing equations, and I felt like an idiot. Hmm. I used to uh, get somebody who could factorize to do my homework for me. It was <laughs> just beyond me. Hmm. And then one day, I like crossed uh, the, uh, what do you call it, uh, the threshold, hmm. uh, the tipping point. Right. And I suddenly got it. Mm -hmm. And now I can factorize any equation you can throw at me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's like that with the book of Revelation. You have to work at it. Right. And then one day, you cross the tipping point and... It makes sense. It makes sense. Mm -hmm. and it's not difficult at all. Well, I, I'm... You know, what we're wanting to do is invite everyone on this journey with us to to get to that point where it makes sense for them and the book of Revelation unfolds and 
people begin to see it for what God intended for, for us to see there. So um, let's start out uh, with the seven churches. Right. And uh, we've already introduced the idea that Jesus' idea, his desire was um, that these believers would multiply and fill the whole earth and love and care for each other and serve each other. And there'd be this huge unity. So he would say things by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. So I'm going to demonstrate to you that we have thousands of different uh, sections, divisions, in all three of the monotheistic religions, mm -hmm. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jesus' great desire for unity just hasn't happened. Right. And those seven churches don't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like his most cherished desire for his body, the church, mm -hmm. has been thwarted and destroyed by the devil. Which gives the devil um, certainly um, the fact that he is so subtle and so deceptive that he's gotten this whole thing off track and uh, and God, what God designed, what Jesus dreamt and prayed for, has not happened. So let's uh, have a look at Judaism first. Sure. Okay. So in Judaism, you have the Orthodox. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Orthodox. When we were in Jerusalem, I was very interested. We were waiting to get onto an elevator, and there was this gentleman there, very unique dress, with, with braids of hair down. And I asked him where he was from, and he was from New York. And they had come there to, to celebrate a, a certain festival or something in, in Jerusalem, but they were from New York. But you could pick them out from other people very readily. Yes, they have these curly uh, ringlets down yes. their yeah. cheeks, yeah. and they wear a black hat. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what kind of a hat it is. Um, and they dress with these, like, long coats. Yeah. So that uh, there are about 15 million Jews in the world. Hmm. Two million of them are Orthodox. Okay. And if they're not living in New York, they like to live in Jerusalem. Hmm. So is this the, the most conservative religious aspect of the Jewish people? Yes. Okay. You even get ultra-Orthodox, mm. but that's beyond us today. Mm. Then you have conservative Jews, 4.5 million. Mm. Mm -hmm. You have reformed Jews, 3.75 million. And then you have secular Jews of 4.5 million. Mm. So you can see you've got four, and I haven't listed all the Subgroups. Subgroups. Right. And four major groups there uh, mm -hmm. amongst the Jews. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of the Jews in Israel are secular. Right. They make no practice mm. of uh, Judaism. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's astonishing. Right. And they like to live in Tel Aviv, mm -hmm. the city that never sleeps. Mm. I mean, it is a secular and as 
brash as any city on the planet. And <clears throat> most Jews do not observe the law of Moses mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. So just looking at Judaism, there's no unity right. that's remarkable there. If you look at uh, Christianity, uh, there was the East and the Western split around about a thousand mm -hmm. of the common era. Um, and it sort of paralleled the split uh, in the Roman Empire because the Vandals were attacking uh, Rome, Italy and Rome from the north. Uh, we call those people Germans and French and all that, but mm -hmm. right then they were the barbarians. And they were actually threatening uh, Rome and Italy. Mm. So the emperor moved his throne and his palace to uh, what became known as Constantinople mm -hmm. or Istanbul today. Mm -hmm. So then the bishop of Constantinople and the bishop of Rome uh, got to be competing with each other for power. Right. And that's the origin of the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, in the Western Europe. Right. So that's your first big division. Mm -hmm. And then uh, around 500 years later, you have Luther nailing up his thesis and John Calvin uh, in Geneva. And he was a lawyer. Uh, and they are part of the Reformation. They really popularized the Reformation. And so now you have the Protestants that spin off and uh, there are literally thousands upon thousands of Protestant denominations now. Right. Nobody really knows how many there are. Mm. Uh, there's so many. And then, of course, you also have the Anglican Church, mm. Henry VIII, when the Pope wouldn't give him an annulment on his marriage. He just decided to appoint himself head of the church in England. Mm. And that's where the... Anglican Church comes from. Mm -hmm. So you've got all these divisions in Christianity. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's amazing to me how everybody uh, has a difference with everybody else and thinks that if you really want to be saved, you have to follow them. Mm -hmm. I mean, Baptists believe you have to be baptized. Catholics believe you have to come back to the Mother Church in order to be saved. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the Charismatic Churches believe you have to speak in tongues. And so it goes. Mm -hmm. And you're a Seventh-day Adventist. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your beef? What do you need to do to be saved? Well, you know, a lot of people believe that you have to keep the Sabbath mm -hmm. to, to be saved. Yes. Even though uh, it's not necessarily that way, but that's often what people will think. Yes. So I'm, I'm a Sabbatarian, and we could talk about Well, we have talked, we have about, talked that, about that. So we're not talking about that today. Well, you know, in Islam, uh, for us Westerners, Islam is just a monolithic Mm -hmm. uh, religion, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, you don't make uh, distinctions between Sunnis and Shias and Kawajis. You don't at all. No. And then those are the three major divisions, and there are hundreds more mm -hmm. 
uh, under those groupings. Hmm. And they are at loggerheads and at war with each other. Right. So how about this unity that Jesus spoke about? It just doesn't seem to exist. No. And even congregations have difficulties <laughs> being unified. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to look at uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3 and just notice the effect uh, of evil and Satan in these churches. So um, Revelation 2, uh, verse 2, uh, this is the message to the church in Ephesus. And here evil surfaces when uh, Jesus says in chapter 2, verse 2, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles and have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. So evil was uh, attacking them right in the congregation, mm -hmm. and it was causing them suffering. Uh, and then if you drop down, would you like to read verse 6? But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. So they, they had to deal with this group, mm -hmm. Nicolaitans. Um, I'm not too sure uh, that I know much about them, but there was something evil going on there. Mm -hmm. So let's drop down to the next church, which is Smyrna. And uh, would you read verse 9, please, about the suffering? I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for ten days, but if you remain faithful even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. So clearly Satan is very active in this congregation, yes. mm -hmm. causing suffering. And uh, then drop down to Pergamum and uh, verse 13. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, your, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. Okay, that's pretty cryptic, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If you drop down to verse 14, uh, if you could read that, please. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, and I will, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Thank you. Let's go to the church in Thyatira, and if you'll read verse 20. But I have this complaint against you. You're permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat 
food offered to idols. Thank you. So um, what I'm illustrating is that each congregation was in mortal combat with evil right. and with Satan. Mm -hmm. He was really hounding these congregations. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, he won. Apparently, yes. He destroyed them. If we go down to verse 24. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan, actually. I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. Thank you. So there the deeper truths uh, or the depths of Satan are actually being offered to this congregation. Mm -hmm. So um, and we go down to the church in Sardis, and if you will read verse, chapter 3, verse 4. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Thank you. So there are some in the church in Sardis, which implies that... There are others. There are others who did. Mm -hmm. And then drop down to the church of Philadelphia... Uh, verse 9. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Yeah. So you've got Satan's synagogue uh, afflicting the church of um, Philadelphia. And then you come to the last church, and Laodicea, uh, and if you would read verse 18. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Thank you. I've attempted to illustrate that these congregations had a, an enemy in Satan. And of course, why wouldn't he be uh, wanting to destroy uh, the body of Christ, as yeah. the church is called? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> congregations are not immune from suffering. Maybe they suffer more than non-congregations mm -hmm. uh, because they are the object of the devil's wrath. So even though the devil knew that he'd been conquered at the cross, he, all he can do now is to take it out on God's children, on his people. Yeah. So if you're a secular person living in the Western world or the Third World or the Eastern world, and you're looking at religion and wondering if there's some virtue to it, and you look at this bewildering array of Christians all claiming that they have the truth and that you should follow them, I think that's very weakening for the witness to Jesus Christ. Yeah, very much so. The body of Christ is fragmented and confusing, and I would say that Satan has succeeded Mm -hmm. in destroying the unity of the church and making it 
feeble and ineffective. Mm -hmm. And Jesus' prayer for unity is apparently unanswered. Would you mind reading John 17, verse 23? He says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. To me, this is the greatest argument that we can give the world that Jesus came is our unity. This is what he desired that we would be able to do. And don't we all love unity uh, when it comes to pass? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes intentionally, sometimes incidentally. I remember soon after coming to Canada that uh, the men won gold at the Olympics and the women won gold mm. that mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the unity it produced in Canada, mm. you know, everybody was shouting and singing, we are Canadians, yes. you know, yeah. and putting the flag on their backpacks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it is a wonderful thing. Yeah. And uh, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Yeah. So I think, I think we'll end this podcast there, Warren. Sure. Um, and then take one podcast to deal with the seals, mm-hmm. and then we'll have four more podcasts to deal with the seals, the trumpets, the battles, and the plagues. Great. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for your insights. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to contact us, you can at Rediscovering God on Facebook or Instagram, or send us an email to rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com. We are encouraged to hear how this picture of God is making a difference for you. And if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, you can leave a review or rate the podcast so that others will become more aware of a God that is love as revealed by Jesus Christ. Thank you.